Now this morning I'm going to preach to you on the subject of guidance. Uh, and I want to suggest to you that Proverbs 3, 1 to 12, is actually a poem about guidance. So there are 12 verses and there are six stanzas. So each stanza has two verses. And you'll notice further as I read that each of these stanzas has commands and then a blessing. So commands and blessings. So let's listen for those uh, as we read this passage. So Proverbs 3, 1 to 12. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your, let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favour and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honour the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. And the, the text for this morning is in the middle section, verses 5 and 6. Uh, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. As a Christian, it is your duty to find out what that plan is and to live accordingly. Now let me give you some examples. God has in mind exactly who the person is that you are to marry. Only if you marry precisely that person will you be in the centre of his will for your life. If you do not marry the person that he intends you to marry, you cannot expect his abundant blessing. And God also has a career path mapped out for you and he expects you to follow that path. It is uniquely designed for your individual mix of talents, passions and qualifications. If you miss that path, you'll be unhappy and unfulfilled. You'll have missed out on God's perfect will for your life. And God has also planned a place where you are to serve him. He has pinpointed exactly where you are to live. And so if you move to Melbourne when he wants you to move to Perth, 
then again you are not in the center of God's will and you will miss out on his best. Now what do all these examples have in common? What is the underlying principle here? What determines who you will marry? What career you will follow or where you will live? Well, it is God's blueprint for your life. It is all there in his plan for you. All you have to do is figure it out and carry it out. Now, of course, there are all kinds of ways in which you can find out what God's plan is for your life. And perhaps the best way is via providence. I once, heard, I once knew a sincere Christian lady who was always careful to make her decisions in the light of God's providence. If she was faced with a choice, she would lay it before God. And her prayers would go something like this. Lord, if it rains on Saturday, I know that you want me to do X. And if it doesn't rain on Saturday, I know that you want me to do Y. She left it completely up to God. Now in his book, Guidance and Wisdom, J.I. Packer describes a woman who adopted basically the same approach, but far more radically and consistently. And this is how he describes her. He writes this. Having consecrated the day to the Lord, as soon as she awoke, she would ask him whether she was to get up or not. And she would not stir till the voice told her to dress. As she put on each article of clothing, she asked the Lord whether she was to put it on. And very often the Lord would tell her to put on the right shoe and leave off the other. Sometimes she was to put on one stocking and leave off the other. Sometimes she was to put on both stockings and no shoes. And sometimes both shoes and no stockings. It was the same with all the articles of dress. Now here's another example that's bolder still. A theological student once received a unique opportunity in the mail. He was offered what was called his personal computerized horoscope from a Christian point of view. Now on the uh, application form, the purpose of this so-called Christian astroanalysis was clearly stated and I quote, we do not see astrology as the art of predicting a future over which we have no control. On the contrary, the man of faith sees astrology as a God-given scientific revelation, a way of revealing each person's unique character and potential destiny so that each of us can, develop, can better develop our talents to do God's will in this world. Now, why are each of these examples stranger than the one before? Why do people try to live their lives by horoscopes or by voices in their heads or even by whether or not it will rain on Saturday? Why do they want to work out God's will by fair means or foul? Because they have a mistaken view of God's will in the first place. You see, there is no blueprint in heaven that we are meant to figure out. To think that you can live in the very centre of God's will in this life is a fantasy. Whether you live in Melbourne, 
or in Perth. You will still be a sinner. Whether you marry Mary or Jane, you will both be sinners. To think that we can live in God's perfect will in this life is a delusion. You see, even if there were a heavenly blueprint that we were meant to figure out, it would be sinful if we tried. As Moses said to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 29, 29, and it's a verse well worth memorising, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we might fully obey the words of this law. So the key to guidance is not trying to figure out God's secret will, but rather to know and to live by God's revealed will. As it says in Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, in the words of our text, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. The Lord will direct your paths. He will make them straight. Now, now surely that's a very clear word on guidance. But what does it mean? How does all of this work out in practice? Who are the kind of people that God guides, and how does he guide them? Well, Proverbs 3, 1 to 12 answers all of these questions and more. If you want the Bible's view of guidance, there's probably no better place to start than right here. So firstly, who does God guide? Well, if we're going to talk about guidance, there are first of all some conditions that we must meet. God doesn't indicate that he will guide everybody indiscriminately, but only those who have met certain conditions. If you want the Lord to guide you, then you must trust in him with all your heart. Now, this is not the same as saving faith, but it grows out of saving faith. Here you trust God to provide for you and to care for you. Now, in that wholehearted trust, there is no place reservations or suspicions. You have complete confidence that the unseen God of heaven and earth takes a special interest in you personally and he, that he will guide you and lead you through this life. You have that simple faith that God is concerned about you. And so the first question in relation to guidance is simply this. Do you trust in the Lord with all your heart? And now if you trust in the Lord with all your heart, you won't lean on your own understanding. And that's the second condition for guidance. You do not rely on your own insight. Now, if there's one kind of person that the Bible has no time for, it's the person who is wise in his own eyes. Now, later on, the Proverbs asks this question. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. And Isaiah says, 
Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Now, when it comes to wisdom, this is the tricky part. Now, whenever we're faced with big decisions, we're encouraged to pray to God for wisdom. And we are told in James 1 that if we pray to God, he gives it generously. He promises that he will give us wisdom. But now, here's the rub. Once you think you have that wisdom, you've lost it. The word commentary on Proverbs has hit the nail right on the head. When does wisdom stop being wisdom? When you think you are wise. Now that's been the secret of sages down the ages. They have never thought of themselves as being particularly wise. The truly wise person will not lean on their own understanding. They will pray. They will search the scriptures. They will be humble enough to seek the advice of other people. So God's word is our compass. And therefore it's true wisdom to follow it. Even when your feelings, when your thoughts, when your intuitions might point in the other direction. As we saw, I guess, with Jonah just a few moments ago. God guides those who do not rely on their own insight. And then thirdly, God guides those who acknowledge him in all their ways. Now, in the original, the word for acknowledge is simply know. Know him in all your ways. Be aware of him. Remember him. Practice the presence of God. And what does this mean in daily life? Well, surely this, that in every detail of our lives, in every department of our existence, all of it can be a subject of our communication with God. In his commentary, Robert Bridges puts it like this, it is nothing less than self-idolatry to think that we can carry on even the ordinary matters of the day without God's counsel. He loves to be consulted. Therefore, take all your difficulties to be resolved by him. Consider no circumstances too clear to need his direction. In all your ways, small as well as great, let him be supreme. Now, obviously, we're in the habit of laying the big issues before God. Who will marry? What job we will take? Where we will live? But I think here God invites us to lay the smaller matters before him as well. What about that parking spot that you need so urgently? What about that malfunctioning computer that makes you want to pull your hair out? What about that car that threatens to die on you? Well, maybe these things aren't so small after all, but we're invited to bring them all before the Lord. So you want God to guide you, to direct your paths, to make them straight? Well, here are some conditions that you need to meet. There are some questions that you need to ask yourself. Do I trust in the Lord with all my heart? Or do I lean on my own understanding? Do I acknowledge him in all my ways? Or do I simply trust my own insight?
trust in the Lord and to acknowledge him is certainly a key to guidance. But I don't think we've seen everything yet that there is to be seen when it comes to guidance in this passage. Right? As we saw earlier, as we read the passage, we saw that it was indeed a poem. A poem not only of six stanzas, but also a poem that has commands and a blessing in each stanza. Now, so far in verses 5 and 6, we've only been looking at the command section. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him. Right? They're all commands. But now these commands are related in the closest possible way to all the other commands that we find here in the poem. Do you want to know more about trusting the Lord and acknowledging him in all their ways? your ways what does it mean in actual practice what does it mean in the nitty-gritty of life well look at the other commands in the context and you'll see exactly what the poet has in mind verse 1 my son do not forget my teaching but let your heart keep my commandments now this is probably not so much a father addressing his son as it was a teacher addressing his student. Now it seems that at the time that the Proverbs were written, there was in Jerusalem a body of wise men. Now they sought to interpret the law of Moses to a new situation. Jerusalem was a growing city and so young men would come from the country to find work in Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, there was this body of wise men who would gather younger men around them as their students and they would teach them in the ways of wisdom. They would apply the law of Moses to this new and developing urban situation in Jerusalem. And so time and again, you'll notice that the Proverbs address someone called my son. Now again, they're not necessarily the biological sons of the wise man, but... They are his students, the pupils of the wise man. Now notice what the son is told. Do not forget my teaching. Now literally, do not forget my Torah. So clearly there's an echo back to the laws of Moses. The wise man passed on the old revelation to a new and upcoming generation. So if you want guidance then walk the pathways that have been set down before you. Now, did you have parents or teachers or ministers who explained the word of God to you when you were younger? Well, then don't ignore their instruction. Remember their teaching. Now, you know, after a while, it's so easy to forget that. We have so many more insights now. We have gained more knowledge. Yes, but don't forget the basics that you learned. Maybe many years ago, follow the teaching that you have been given and apply it to your life. Remember basic lessons faithfully taught. And then we have the next commands in verse 3. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Now, notice this 
qualities, love and faithfulness. Now, who is most often described in these terms in the Old Testament? Well, the Lord himself. He is a God of love and faithfulness. He is a covenant-keeping God. Now, think of the famous words with which he described himself to Moses. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. So who does the Lord guide? He guides those who are most like him. People whose lives are characterised by love and faithfulness. Now these qualities then are to adorn your life. They are to be out there in your life. Like he says, you are to bind them around your neck. Bind them around your neck like a beautiful garland of flowers or like some of the finest jewellery, or wear them like that Olympic gold medal that a champion wears so proudly. Love and faithfulness are to be on full display in your life as you live as a Christian day by day. Now, there's nothing hypocritical about that, to have those things out there in your life. With one proviso, you must follow through with the second part of the command. Write them on the tablet of your heart. You see, love and faithfulness are to come from the heart. They are to well up from deep inside of us. So both on the outside and on the inside, we are to be a reflection of what God is like. These virtues are to be deeply ingrained in our lives. Now, obviously, these qualities, love and faithfulness, they're the stuff that relationships are made of. So, how is it with you in your relationship with your family? So, that's the thing about guidance. You know, there's nothing mechanical or automatic about it. There are conditions to be met. God doesn't promise to guide everybody but only those whose lives are characterised by love and faithfulness, by obedience, by fear of the Lord and by generosity. This brings us then to the second part of our little stanza, the blessing of verse 6. And he will make your paths straight. Now, now what does this mean exactly? How does God direct your paths and make them straight? If it's not a matter of downloading the heavenly blueprint, then what is it? Well, again, let the context be your guide. Remember that the, the stanzas that make up this poem begin with commands and end with a blessing. And the blessing here in verse 6 is that the Lord will make your paths straight. Now, if you take all the blessings of these stanzas together, then you have a very clear idea of what the straight paths look like. Verse 2, they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Verse 4, then you will find favour and good repute in the sight of God and man. Verse 8, this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. And verse 10, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will be bursting with new wine. 
Now, put all of these together and you get a very full description of the straight paths of verse 6. A long life, a good reputation, health, wealth and prosperity. What's not to love about all this? But doesn't it sound suspiciously like the prosperity doctrine and the health and wealth theologies that have been around since the 1980s? It almost sounds too good to be true. It's all peaches and cream. It's all beer and skittles. It's all smooth sailing. Call it what you like. You know, in recent years, there's a prayer from the Old Testament that has become rather famous in some circles. People even have it as a plaque on their walls. I don't know if you've heard of the prayer of Jabez from 1 Chronicles 4. Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Uh, let, let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free of pain. And God granted his request. Now, why is it that we get this impression, this false impression, that if we just follow all of this, our lives will always be in apple pie order? Well, for the very simple reason that we haven't yet read the whole poem. We still have one stanza to go. It's in verses 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Now, these verses put a rider on everything that has gone before. Now, of course, we should have already realised that the blessings that are mentioned in these verses are not promises. You see, here we are reading in the book of Proverbs, and Proverbs are not promises. That's a mistake that many Bible readers often make. Proverbs are simply observations about life. Proverbs tell us what is generally the case. They are not ironclad guarantees. Now, for example, the verse, train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs 22, verse 6. I'm sure that we can all think of exceptions to that one. But that's the nature of Proverbs. They are about what is generally the case. They make general statements about life. And that's what we have here in Proverbs 3, 1 to 12. But in case we miss the point, the poet adds this final stanza. You may do everything right. You may be loving and faithful. You may be obedient and generous and fear the Lord. But that puts God under no obligation to bless you. You may not always be a Jabez. He may decide to discipline you instead. And what would that discipline look like? Well, again, I think the context gives us an indication. Instead of prosperity, there is adversity. Instead of enjoying a good name, you endure slander. 
Instead of health, there is illness. Instead of wealth, there is poverty and financial struggle. You see, just because things don't seem to be going right in your life does not mean that God has stopped guiding you and that you are no longer doing the will of God. You see, even straight paths lead through valleys. Think of the 23rd Psalm. The paths of righteousness can lead through the valley of the shadow of death. Straight paths are not always smooth paths. Now think of Joseph in the Old Testament, the story that, uh, that faith introduced to us earlier. Joseph was an obedient son. His life was marked by love and faithfulness. He trusted and he feared the Lord. He, he would have fit really well into Proverbs 3. But you know, the more obedient he was, the harder his life seemed to become. His brothers sold him as a slave. Potiphar's wife slandered him. Then he languished in prison for at least two years. But through all of this, the Lord was continuing to guide and direct. You could also say that Joseph was experiencing the Lord's discipline as he was being prepared for higher service. And perhaps the best example of straight paths is found in Isaiah 40, where we hear a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And at the beginning of Mark's Gospel, those verses from Isaiah 40 are quoted. And that voice in the wilderness was John the Baptist. And the one for whom the straight highway was being prepared was none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. His paths were made straight and they led straight to the cross. Now, if that's what happened to God's favourite son, if his path turned into the Via Dolorosa, the way of sorrows, then should we be surprised if sometimes the pathway of our life goes through the valley of hardship and suffering? If it happens to you, don't become resentful. Don't get all bitter and twisted. God is still guiding you. He hasn't abandoned you or given up on you. Strange as it may seem, his discipline shows that he loves you and that he delights in you. These are times of discipline and they lead to avenues of higher and more fruitful service. You know, there are times in our lives when this whole matter of guidance can cause real difficulty. It can cause real stress and heartache in our lives. You know, if, if you're experiencing problems with guidance at the present time and you wonder where God is leading, you know what we're often tempted to do? We want a head-on solution to our problems. There, we want some stroke of providence that will give us infallible guidance. Now, it mightn't be anything as drastic as a horoscope 
or a voice in your head or even whether or not it's going to rain on Saturday. But God, won't you please do something so that I can tell what you want me to do? I remember once uh, visiting a, a small congregation where I was the counsellor and they had four people uh, on the list that they might call to be their pastor. And I said, now wouldn't it be nice if the Lord just put a halo around the name of one of these men and solve all your problems? But that's not how it works. You see, God's guidance, by definition, is indirect and not direct. We must be prepared to wait for the Lord. God's people are essentially a waiting people. We are to wait patiently for the Lord. And God will often use periods of waiting to discipline us. He will use times like this to purge away disobedience and remove sinful ways of behaviour, to teach us lessons that we might learn in no other way. Now the book of Proverbs is all about wisdom but wisdom is not trying to figure out God's secret will. You know, it's not wisdom to download the heavenly blueprint or even read the signs of providence. Wisdom is to know God's will and to obey it. And if this is how we live our lives, then God promises to direct our paths and make them straight. Let's pray. Our dear God, we do want to thank you for this challenging passage that we have just considered. And Lord, we, we thank you that you do promise to guide us in life. No matter how deep the valleys might be, no matter how much we might struggle with hardship, Lord, we know that you are with us and that you do guide us. O oh Lord, help us to be a faithful and a waiting people. And Lord, I pray for anyone here who might be struggling especially uh, with this whole concept of guidance at the present time. O oh Lord, I pray that you will lead them through. And Lord, I pray for all of us as we struggle with this concept and as we will continue to struggle, no doubt, to the end of our life. Lord, we pray that you will give us wisdom. Lord, give us greater wisdom, give us greater fruitfulness and help us, Lord, to follow your revealed will as you have shown it to us in Scripture. In Jesus' name. Amen.